Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. First Kings chapter 19. Last week, we, as we continued through our study of Elijah and Elisha, we saw a very dark moment in Elijah's life, a time of his deep depression and how he, he found this himself in a, in a spot where he was discouraged, he was disappointed in God, he wasn't sure what's going to happen, and so he became very depressed. And uh, in the, the time that God spent with him and how God dealt with him, one of the things that God told him to do was he called him to go back to work. And one of the things that God called him to do was to anoint Elisha to be the next king, of uh, the next prophet over Israel. Uh, and Elijah's call from God is, is very extreme. God asked a lot of him. And Elijah, he had a, he had a good life. He was, we'll see a little bit later, he was, a, he was a wealthy man, he was a powerful man, he had pretty much everything going for him. But God called him to something greater. Uh, as children of God, we are offered the same thing. Elijah's life and his, his call from God is a prototype of what God offers every single one of us. God has a plan for your life that is better than anything you can come up with on your own. His plan for your life, his will for your life is greater and more powerful and more influential than anything you could come up with your, on your own time. As children of God, we have a greater purpose for our life. It's a plan that's greater than your plan. But the thing is, to follow God's will, to follow God's plan, it costs us. As we're going to see in Elisha's life, it cost him everything. Following God means abandoning your life for him. You know, a lot of people, they come to God because they think he offers something that they may be missing. Help in time of trouble. Peace when we're in turmoil. Forgiveness of our sins. Comfort uh, and assurance of heaven when we die. And God offers us all of these things. And these are all good things. There's nothing wrong with them. But that's not why we come to God. We don't come to God for, because of what we can get from him. See, when we do that, we tend to view our lives as we are the center of the universe. And God just adds to our lives. Now, when we do that, that moves him down the priority list. I'm still getting a pretty bad ring here. Y'all hearing that? Y'all hear the ringers or just me? Maybe it's my monitors. All right, well, it's bugging me. All right. Um, when, we, when we do that, when we add, view ourselves as the center of the universe and God just kind of adds to our lives... It moves him down the priority list from where he belongs. And we've, we've seen in the past during this series and the series before that God deserves and God demands that he be our number one priority. And it moves him down from where he belongs to where we want him to be. And when that happens, we, we think that we're following God. But we're not. 
We're asking him to follow us. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in completely abandoning everything that you desire and your will and your plans to follow God and to walk with God and then trying to cram God into your life where he fits in best for you and doesn't mess up anything in your life. And we see the difference in Elisha's call. So look how God calls Elisha. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 19. Now remember, of course, God has just told Elijah uh, I want you to get out of the cave. You're going to go. You've got to anoint a king over Syria. You've got to anoint a king over Israel. You've got to anoint a new prophet and go and anoint these people. Find Elisha of Samballat. And so, verse 19, Elijah has left the cave and he's going to fulfill God's call in his life. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Samballat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of, yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. So here's the scene. Elijah has left the cave. He's going to do the will of God. He finds Elisha plowing his field. And Elisha is a wealthy man. We know that because he has 12 yoke of oxen. So a yoke of oxen is, is two oxen. So he has 24 ox. Now oxen during this time were like cars. Most middle-class people or families had one. Nowadays, of course, most people have two. Every driver in the family has one, but Elisha had 24. So anyone that you know of that has 24 cars is pretty wealthy. Or they're a hoarder and they have a junkyard. But that's not the case here. He's got these 24 oxen, and they're being driven by, uh, by 12 yokes. So he's got 11 servants plowing the field. And he's plowing the 12th. He's a wealthy guy. He's a powerful guy. He has servants underneath of him. He's, 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 and you got to remember now, this is after the famine that God caused when, Elijah, when he said it's not going to rain on the land until Elijah says so. So three and a half years, there's been no rain in the land. And most people's livestock have died that's why, remember when they found Elijah, they were out looking for a place to, the king was out looking for a place to graze the remaining oxen and horses that he had. But here's Elisha, the famine's over, but he's still got his 24 oxen. He's still got his servants. He's still got his land. He's a wealthy guy. He's a powerful guy. He's a master of his home. And Elijah walks by and throws his coat on him. That's kind of weird, I get. But it had meaning there. So he lives, Elisha, he lives in a place called Abel Manoah. It literally means the dancing meadow. He lived in what was considered the bread basket of Israel. He lived on the best land. He had a lot of it. He lived in the best place. He owned a lot of land. He had servants. He had a lot of oxen. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He had a good life, but something was missing. Say, so how do you know? Because he gave it all up to follow some dude who threw his coat on him. Something was missing in his life. He knew there was something greater out there for him to do. He was restless. He was unfulfilled. Elisha, he looks at his life and he's got money. He's got power, he's got prestige, he's got wealth, he's got land, he's got everything most people would want. And he, 
thinks, is this all there is? Live my life, make some money, live some, leave some good stuff for my son, and then die and really make no impact on the world whatsoever? You ever come to that point in your life where you look at your life and think, man, I'm doing, I'm doing good things. I have a good job. I have a good family. You know, I'm doing good, but am I really making an impact? Is it really going to matter when I'm gone? Is anyone really going to care outside my family? Am I going to make a difference for an eternity at all? So Elijah, he walks up to him and he throws his cloak on him. And again, it seems weird to us, but this was a, a symbol. The cloak symbolized your profession. So Elijah was giving Elisha his, his cloak, his cloak. He was telling him, you're going to be the next prophet of God. You're going to take the mantle of leading Israel back to God after I am gone. Now, this seems exciting for anybody because, you know, the prophet of Israel was a, was a well-known, it was kind of a, a powerful position. People respected him. But Elijah's a, a wanted man. He's running for his life. He can't really live out in public. He's not rich. God feeds him with birds from the air and widows. So he has no money. He, in this, this culture, he has no prestige that the prophet usually has. Because remember, Moses was the prophet, and people respected Moses. People honored Moses, but Elijah, they're trying to kill him. So he's hiding all over the place. He's a fugitive. He has no money. He has no prestige. He has nothing. And he comes to Elisha, a man who has everything. He's got money. He's got prestige. He's got authority. People know who he is. And Elijah throws his coat on him and says, God's got something better for you. God's got something greater for you. Elisha is being called from a life of luxury to a life of poverty and danger. Doesn't sound like a great deal, does it? Leave everything you got. Leave all your money, leave all your family, leave everything and come follow me. We got to hide, hide and, and make sure people don't find us and kill us. And hopefully God will send a raven one day to feed us. It'll be okay. But look how Elisha responds in verse number 20. <clears throat> and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? That's, that's Hebrew of saying, what do I care what you do? Do what you want to do, I don't care. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat and he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So Elisha, Elijah throws his mantle on him. Elisha runs after him and says, hey, you know, give me, give me a minute. Let me go say bye to my family, get some things in order, and I'll be right with you. And Elijah says, you know, do what you want to do, man. I don't care. And keeps going. Elisha goes back. He kills his oxen. He kills all of them. We read later in Scripture, he kills every single one of them. He, sl he, he slays his, his, his oxen. He destroys his cars. He takes the plowing equipment that the oxen use, and he burns it to cook the oxen. 
Then he has a feast for the, for the whole community there, and they have a wonderful time, and he burns his oxen, and he, he, he does what he has to do. Now, an ox, in this time, an ox would feed a family of five for about a year and a half. 24 oxen is a lot of meat. It's an epic feast. This is where the buffet came from. This is how they came up with it. So he has a massive feast for the, the poor people in his community. He burns his oxen. He burns his plows. He has nothing to turn back to now. He is completely committed to God. He goes from being the master to being the servant. He goes from calling the shots to making coffee for Elijah. Now, there are three things that characterize Elijah's response to God and God, God's call to us. Because here's the thing. God has something greater for every single one of us. God may call you to burn your plows. God may call you to get involved in a, a ministry at church. God may call you to do whatever it is. But whatever God calls you to do, it's greater than anything you could ask of yourself. It's greater than anything you could do for yourself. And here's the thing. You will never be truly fulfilled until you do what God's called you to do. Elisha wasn't fulfilled living a wealthy life. Being a master, he found fulfillment in serving God. Now, granted, later on in his life, we're going to see people make fun of him. He have bears come out and eat him. That's pretty cool. I wish I had that power. Where somebody makes fun of me, oh, look, a she-bear, you're dead. So it, it worked out pretty good for him, but he didn't know that. God's call for you, whatever you're doing in life now, God's got something greater for every single one of us. And it looks different for all of us. But we see God's call on our life and how we're supposed to respond. And we see, number one, God's call to something greater takes surrender, sacrifice, and service. Elijah burned his plows and killed his oxen. That meant he was forever surrendering his former life as a rich landowner. He was surrendering everything he'd known in life. He was getting rid of that old life and saying, I am surrendering that and I will never return again. Elijah was his master now. There was no plan B for Elisha. He was surrendered to God's plan. He sacrificed his oxen, what had been his treasure, his most prized possession, his future. He sacrificed it to bless others. And he dedicated his life to service. He was the master. He was in charge. He was somebody powerful. But now, in less than a day, he's a servant to a poor roaming prophet that everybody wants to kill. Imagine Elisha's parents when they're out in town and they meet up with some old friends. So, hey, what's Elisha doing now? Well, you know, he's making breakfast for Elijah. Where's he at? We don't really know. They have to hide from the cops everywhere they go. So we don't really know. And, you know, parents, how they are, it's like they're kind of shy of it and ashamed of it. And then their, their friends are like, well, wow, he sure fell. He used to be rich. He used to be something. Now he's, he's a nobody. And it was like that for 18 years. 
We're going to flip over and see Elijah's call to heaven. But as you read through the, and it's not very far from here, it's in 2 Kings chapter 2, but the span from when he left everything to follow Elijah to the time where Elijah goes to heaven, and now Elisha is a prophet of God, was 18 years. For 18 years, he was a servant. For 18 years, he was doing what someone else asked him to do. Whenever God calls someone, he always puts them through a time of humbling. Remember when he called Moses? What's the first thing he did to Moses? He sent him on the backside of the desert to herd goats for 40 years. To remind Moses he was nothing. Remember when he called David? Saul, the prophet of God. I'm sorry, Samuel, the prophet of God. He anoints David to be king over Israel. And the first thing David does is go back to the field to shepherd sheep for five or six years. He doesn't go to the throne. He goes back to being a shepherd. Whenever God calls you, he always puts you through a time of humbling. Why? Because God needs to empty you of yourself so you can be full of him. We don't like being a place or a time of humbling. But in Christianity, the Bible says the way up is down. You know, a life of following Jesus, a life of truly walking with God and having an impact for God in the world and in eternity is more than coming to church on Sundays and posting religious memes on Facebook and Instagram. There's more to life than that. There's more to serving God than that. It's a life of surrender of yourself, sacrifice of your will and your desires and service to his kingdom. And if you aren't willing to do that, then you're not really walking with Jesus. It's not easy, but it's necessary. The life of a believer is a life of service. So he puts you through a time of humbling because he wants to be faithful where we are. In 1 Peter 5, 6, 5, 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, serving God, walking with God, it's a, it's a life of surrender. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of service. And Jesus took it up a notch. In Mark chapter 8, he says, And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself means total abandonment of yourself to God. He didn't say deny money. He didn't say deny pleasure. He didn't say deny sin. Why? Because we can check those things off and feel like we're doing pretty good. We can make a list and say, well, I've denied money, I've denied my, I've done, but denying yourself, denying everything that you desire, deny yourself means saying no to what you want so you can say yes to God. What it means is there is nothing that God can ask you that's off limits. There's no area of your life where you can say, God, you can do whatever you want with this, but this right here, that's mine. Don't touch it. It means your entire life, your family, 
your finances, your prestige, your power, your enjoyment, your full, everything. You say, God, my entire life is yours to do whatever you want to with. Maybe teaching a class. It may be missionary work. You know, we don't like to think about that, but God may be calling someone in here to leave everything they know in America and go to a foreign mission field to serve God with their life. And it means being willing to say, God, if that's what you want of me, Lord, if you want that of my children, my children are yours to use for your glory and your kingdom. God, it's all yours. It's denying yourself. Take up your cross is another powerful phrase. To us, a cross is a, it's a decorative item. I mean, look, we've got one here. We've got them all over the place. To us, the cross is something we put around our neck on a chain. It's a symbol of God's sacrifice and God's grace and God's mercy. But in Jesus' day, it was something different. It was a symbol of oppression. It was a symbol of torture. It was a symbol of racism. It invoked horror and pain. Men hung on them naked and in shame, having every part of their lives stripped away as they died in front of the world. In our, in, in us, we use the, we, in our use of the symbol, we tend to forget the horror of it. It's like if we said, hey, take up your, your noose and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. How many of y'all would, if you walked into someone's house, you walked into the living room and you saw a picture of someone being hung to death over their mantle, would want to hang around there? We wouldn't. We have pictures of Jesus on the cross and we think nothing of it. To us, it's, it's grace, it's mercy, it's powerful. But in Jesus' day, it was terrible. It was a, a symbol of destruction. So when Jesus is telling people to take up their cross, he's telling them to strap on instruments of torture and pain and death to follow him. And that's not what people wanted to hear. People want Christianity to be easy, to be peaceful, to be simple, to have your best life now. People wanted empowerment. They wanted joy. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm offering you. He said, finding me is finding everything you've ever been searching for because you have to be willing to abandon everything to follow me. And look, it's not just for the elite that want to serve him. It's for everyone that accepts him as their savior and walks with him. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Luke 18? He comes to him and says, Master, what must I do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, just keep all the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done all that. He says, great, there's one more thing you need to do. Get rid of all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he was rich. He wasn't willing to get rid of everything to follow Christ. Now look, I'm not saying that you need to go out and quit your job and give all your money away unless God tells you to. 
But the point is, following Jesus means nothing is off limits. There's no area of your life where you can say, no, God, that area is mine, and you can't have it. Following God is a life of a greater meaning, and it's a life of surrender and sacrifice and service. You know, one day, every one of us, as God's children, we're going to be in heaven one day with Jesus, and it's going to be great. But you know who else is going to be there? The apostles. Every one of them were martyred for Jesus. They were boiled to death. They were crucified upside down. They were drugged behind animals till they were killed. They were stabbed and caught on fire. And they, they went through terrible things to get the gospel to the world. They literally gave their lives for God. And one day we're going to meet them. And they're going to ask, so what did you do for Jesus? What are we going to say? I went to church most Sundays when it wasn't, you know, raining or cold or I felt like it. I tithed when I could remember to or didn't have something else I wanted to spend my money on. I would have taught a class, but I just, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to give up my, my nights of studying. I would have gone to a growth group, but you know, my weeks are just so busy. I would have done, but I, but I didn't. And I'm not saying go out and get yourself martyred for God so you have bragging rights with Paul. But when we look at what they gave up and what we're willing to give up, we should feel kind of ashamed. Denying yourself is looking at God and saying, God, if you ask me to be martyred for you, I'm willing to do it. If you ask me to teach a class for you, I'm willing to do it. If you ask me to, to go across the street and share the gospel with somebody, I'm willing to do it. If you ask me to leave everything and go to a foreign mission field, I'm willing to do it. Lord, I give everything of mine to you. Use me as you will. Are we really following Jesus or are we just using Jesus for a self-centered act? God's called something greater. Number two... It requires a bold act of faith. In verse 21, Elisha, he kills the oxen. He destroys all his plows. But look how that verse ends. It says, then he arose and went after Elijah. You know what that means? It means Elijah left. You know how long it takes to cook an oxen? You know how long it takes to cook 24 oxen? Probably a while. I mean, he, he smoked them. He did good brisket. But it takes a while for that stuff. So he had to go home, kill all the oxen, prepare them, dry rub them, get the ribs right, put, the, you know, put them in the smoker, had to do all that work, had to destroy everything, and then he had to leave to find Elisha. There's an abandonment to following God. It is all or nothing. In 1519, Cortez, <coughs> he arrived in Mexico with 11 ships and less than 700 men. The indigenous population where he landed in Mexico numbered over 5 million. Cortez and his men were outnumbered 7,541 to 1. Every previous expedition had failed, but Cortez conquered most of Central America. How did he do that? 
when he arrived and they unloaded the ships and they sat on the shore, he burned the ships down. As the crew watched their ship burn, they realized retreat wasn't an option. Now look, what Cortez and his men did was morally sickening. It was despicable and terrible what they did to an entire population of people. But there is something we can learn about them. Failure is going with plan B when plan A gets too hard. That's why most of us are living our plan B life. We didn't burn the ships. People who are living plan A had no plan B. God is plan A, and there is no plan B for those who want to follow him. Following God takes bold acts of faith. When, you, when God calls you to do something for him, do whatever you have to do to obey him. Now, here's the thing. Following God and acting for God and doing for God, it always takes risks. But it's always worth it. Remember the story of Jesus and the, the talents? He told a story where a rich man went away and he left his talents with three of his, his servants, left one guy with ten talents, one guy with five talents, one guy with one talent. The guy with ten talents doubled it, gave him ten more. The guy with five talents doubled it, gave him five more. The guy with one talent said, I didn't know what to do with it. I was scared, so I buried it in the ground, but here's your one talent. Remember what Jesus called that one servant who did nothing with the talent? Called him wicked. Didn't call him foolish. Didn't call him lazy. Didn't call him stupid. Called him wicked. If your life isn't characterized by bold faith, then we're a wicked servant. Look at Elijah's life 18 years later. Flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2 is not very far from 1 Kings 19, just a few pages over. Starting in verse number 8. And Elisha took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in pieces, in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell up from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle Elijah had felt that, that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Now, if you continue studying the book of the life of Elisha, and we will, you're going to see he got what he asked for. They're crossing the Jordan River. They're walking along. Elijah's an old man now. He figures he's going to die soon. So he asks Elisha, says, hey, before I die and before I pass the, the job on to you, what, what can I do for you? 
And Elisha says, can I have double your power? Elijah says, well, that's a hard thing. It's not up to me to give, but if you're around when I am called to heaven, then God will give it to you. Now, if you count the miracles that these two men did, Elijah did 14. Elisha did 28. He got exactly what he asked for because he didn't hold anything back. The greatest blessings of faith only come from bold moves of faith. You will not make an impact for God or his kingdom if you don't move in faith. You can keep plowing your fields. You can stay behind your, your 24 oxen. You can have, have an easy life, but you're giving up 24 miracles of God. It's the promise that Jesus gave us when he said that we would do greater works than him. Not greater in power because none of us can raise the dead. None of us can walk on water unless it's frozen. So we can't do greater in power miracles, but we can do greater in number miracles than Jesus. We can take the power of the resurrection to places that Jesus never went. We can carry the gospel and the love of Christ to broken families that Jesus would never reach. We can see his power come through our lives to see captives set free and the lost people adopted into the family of God in ways that he never could. You can settle for your life if you want to, but you're missing out on the miracles that God wants to do through you and through your faith. We see that a call to something greater, number three, is found in seeing Jesus. Elisha, you remember the vision of Elijah going up into heaven? You know, we kind of have the, again, we have these kind of peaceful ideas about how this happened. You know, we get this idea that just chariots came down and Elijah just walked into the chariot and flew away. No, no, no. We got flaming horses, flaming chariots, and a tornado. Does that sound peaceful to anybody? Does it sound like something that you want to be a part of? None of us like being around tornadoes, let alone flaming tornadoes with flaming horses. But that's, that, that's exactly what happened. Elisha saw a vision of Elijah be taken up to heaven, and it was a terrible sight. He thought he was going to die, and we know that because he tore his clothes ready to go to heaven. <clears throat> when those things showed up, when flaming horses and flaming tornadoes showed up, people usually died. The only time they didn't was here and when Elijah was on Mount Horeb. Because remember, when God came to Mount Sinai, the exact same thing happened. He had fire, tornadoes, storms, and he put a border and said, anyone that crosses that line will die, and people did, and people died. So Elisha's watching something that should kill him. But instead, he sees Elijah being taken up to heaven above God's wrath. And that vision of God sparing him and Elisha being over God's wrath gave him the power and the faith to leave everything for God. He, even after this, after this moment, he endured sacrifice and persecution for the rest of his life because he saw a vision of God's grace and God's power. What he saw was a picture of what we see 
in Jesus on the cross. Elijah went to heaven over God's wrath and over God's judgment. Jesus did the same thing for us. When he died on the cross, he took God's wrath from us. When he rose from the dead and he rose from the grave, he redeemed us to God the Father. And now he sits on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And because of him, we are safe from God's judgment. And we see him high and lifted up. It gives us the ability and the courage to follow him. We can go through surrender and sacrifice and service because we see in him something better and something greater than anything we ever left behind. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he makes us a deal. All of him for all of us. He wants us to be willing to give up everything for him because he gave up everything for us and he is better than anything we could ever get on earth. And it's a great deal. We come to him with all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our shortcomings, and he takes it and gives us his righteousness, his love, and his forgiveness. All of him for all of you. Have you ever given, given, everything of yourself to Jesus. That's the only thing in life that will bring joy. It's the only life, that's the only life that empowers us to surrender and sacrifice and serve him. Look, chances are God's not gonna call you to quit your job, give up everything and go to a foreign field. But he might. If he did, would we be okay with it? Would we be able to say, of course, Jesus, because I have you, that's all I need. Your life could be so much more than it is. It could be so much more useful for his kingdom than it is. But it's going to require surrender, sacrifice, service, and bold faith. What greater thing is God calling you to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingroanoke.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.